0: You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Now looking at the book of Chronicles, I know what you're thinking. And in fact, I I asked some of you this morning, I asked my wife last night, and I said, what do you know about Chronicles? And her answer was, not much. And then I heard different answers this morning. Oh, it tells the same stories. Tells the same stories as Kings and Samuel. How many would agree with that? Tells the same stories as Kings and Samuel. Yeah, okay. Um, some people say just, again, genealogies. A lot of genealogies. Okay, yeah, and he begat this person and he begat that person. What are those in there for? How do those apply to me? But let's just get down to the to the brass tax here. So the date it was written was 450 to 340 BC, somewhere in there. The time period that this book covers cuz like Samuel and Kings it was originally one book, but it was split because of scroll length. So Chronicles all one story. It covers the beginning of time, so around 4000 BC all the way up to 525 BC. It covers a long period of time. And the audience is the nation of Israel, but I'm going to be more specific. It was specifically written to the generation who was returning from exile in Babylon. And this is critical. This is highly significant to remember, to know the audience of the book. So think of where we left off in the book of First and Second Kings. Jerusalem has been burned. The temple, Solomon's temple, has been utterly destroyed down to the foundation, laid absolute waste. Israel has gone into exile, and according to the prophecy, they're going to be there for 70 years. That is how we left First and Second Kings. The book of Samuel and Kings and the vast majority of the prophets are all written to the generation that is going into exile at Babylon. Chronicles is written after the exile to the generation that is returning from Babylon. And understanding this jump in the timeline is vital to understanding the purpose of Chronicles. When you understand the jump in the timeline, it it helps you understand a lot of what confuses and bores a lot of people about Chronicles. So think about it. When a person decides, I'm going to read my Bible through, cover to cover, there's one of two places where they usually get lost. One of them is Leviticus. Because by the time you get to Leviticus, the, the story ends. And it's just la, 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 law, And don't, don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. And you're thinking noted. And, you know, and you're doing all these different things. And so people get lost there. But then they make it through. And they get to 1 Chronicles. And they start reading all the begat, 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 begat. Nine chapters. Nine chapters of genealogies. And then you get through that. And you think immediately, wait a minute. I'm reading all the same stories that I just read in Samuel and Kings. I just read all of this. Why are these stories being repeated? It's the same people. It's the same battle, same places, same enemies. And a uh, a lot of instances, even the same wording And it's because of that the book of Chronicles is one of the least known books in the Bible. Now, it's not unknown in its content. I think people know what it is because, yeah, it's what Samuel and Kings talks about. But it's unknown in its purpose. And it's easy to think because Chronicles contains the same stories as Samuel and Kings, they must share the same purpose. That's very wrong. While it's true, Chronicles tells the same stories as Samuel and Kings, and it often refers to it. It says, if you want to know more about this story, go read Kings. And go read, you know, other other books that have been lost to us today. But Chronicles tells the story, same stories, yes, but from a different perspective. Samuel and Kings are Israel's history from the perspective of the throne. Chronicles is from the perspective of the temple. It's really that simple. So you might want to write that down. Samuel and Kings is the story of Israel from the perspective of the throne. Chronicles is the perspective of the temple. And understanding this different perspective is going to unlock the door. That will help you understand the purpose of Chronicles. A lot of the same stories, yes, but written from a different perspective and with a different purpose in mind. So here's what I'm bringing forward. Chronicles is not just a copy of Samuel and Kings. It's not just like the Lord ran out of stuff to say, so he put it in. And there are other parts of the Bible that are repeated as well that the Lord uses for emphasis. The creation story is told several times. Saul's Saul's conversion is told several times. The giving of the laws is told several times. But there are major differences between Chronicles and Kings and Samuel. And as we go through, I'm going to highlight those differences. We need to highlight those differences. And when you see those differences, uh, it's really going to help us answer that great question. What is the purpose of Chronicles? Why is it written? Why is it there? Now, before we can see why it's written, we first need to see what is written. And it can be divided into five parts from what I have put here. So part one is 1 Chronicles 1 through 9. And it's the records of Israel, genealogies. Part 2 is 1 Chronicles 10 through 29, and that's the reign of David. Part 3 is 2 Chronicles 1 through 9, and that's the reign of Solomon. And part 4 is 2 Chronicles 10 through 36, which is the reign of the kings. Now, I know that's a lot to write down. I can give you more of that a- as we go. So, do you see what I mean about Chronicles? Right away, we're thinking part one is just n- not interesting. It's just all these genealogies. And then part two and three and four, the story of David and Solomon and kings, we, are, we already know that. But it's part five. The last two verses, the last two verses of Second Chronicles, the verses that we read, those last two verses, part five, The return to Jerusalem, that's going to be a big turning point, a big key to unlock. So let's begin with our favorite part, part one, the genealogies. We're going to read them in their entirety. Let's go there to uh, 1 Chronicles Chapter 1. Is he kidding? I don't know what's going on. Tell you what, let's just read the first verse. Can we do that? Okay. Let's just read the first verse. So the first nine chapters of 1 Chronicles are almost wholly given to recording names of people, starting from the very first man that ever lived. What's the first word of Chronicles? Adam. You can't really go back further than that, you know, as far as time is concerned. Adam, Sheth, or Seth, Enosh, Enoch. Now, wait a minute. Do you notice anything about verse 1? If we're talking about a genealogy here, Adam, what, what? Where's Cain and Abel? Isn't it Adam, Cain, Abel, Seth? But it just goes from Adam to Seth. So there must be a reason. And here's the reason. The purpose of these genealogies is not to be exhaustive. It's to follow a specific line. And as you follow this line down, it's going to become more and more clear. Listen, Seth leads to Noah. Noah leads to Shem, Ham, and Japheth, but only Shem's line is followed in detail because Shem leads to Abraham, and Abraham leads to Esau and Jacob. And it talks about Esau for a little bit, but who do you think it's going to follow more? Jacob, or Israel, right? So in chapter 2, you see Israel, his line leads to the 12 sons, Now think about it, think think about it, out of all of the 12 sons of Israel, which one do you think the Bible's going to follow? Judah. Some of you may have said Joseph, because he had the birthright, okay? But Judah, why? Because Judah had the covenant. Judah had the promise, Genesis 49, the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes so we're going to follow Judah. And Judah leads to David, the one whose line holds that promise of the kingly Messiah. Now, I find it interesting that in chapter 2, from verse 18 through 55, it deals only with Caleb. It deals with Caleb's line. Now, it seems a little bit out of place, Why is Caleb there? If the purpose is to follow this specific line, it seems like it's a a little bit of a tangent to go on Caleb. Put Caleb in your left pocket. We're going to be using our pockets a lot tonight. So put Caleb in your left pocket, okay? Chapter 3, David, the line leads to Zedekiah. And if you recognize Zedekiah's name, Zedekiah was the last king of Israel before they went into exile. So David leads all the way to Zedekiah. But then... David's line continues even into the exile. And there's one name that is given after Zedekiah in the exile that we're going to put in our other pocket. Look here in chapter 3 and verse 19. See if you recognize a name, okay? Say amen if you recognize a name here. This is David's line after Zedekiah. After the exile, verse 19, and the sons of Padiah were Zerubbabel and Shimei, and the sons of Zerubbabel, Mershalom and Hananiah and Shalemith, their sister, I'm going to stop there, it's Zerubbabel. Okay, so take Zerubbabel and put him in your right pocket. So who do we have in our left pocket? Caleb, Caleb, who do we have in our right pocket? Gazuntite. yes, very good. Chapters 4 through 8, then they go back in time, and they start going through and tracing the lineage of all of Israel's other sons, with great detail given to the tribe of Levi. 81 verses to the tribe of Levi. 81 verses about Levi and Aaron and, and this priestly tribe. That's a long chapter right there, 81 verses. Um, chapter 8, verse 29 through 40 gives the line of Benjamin, which leads to Saul. And along with the lineage of these 12 sons, the Bible in Chronicles also gives their, quote, habitations or their possessions in the promised land. And chapter 9 is going to show us why. Chapter 9 is going to remind us why is it giving us the lineages And why is it giving us the habitations or their portion in the promised land? Because chapter 9 is all about the group of people who are returning from Babylon to Jerusalem. So with the return from captivity, they would need to be reminded of which portion of land belonged to whom. And this explains, okay, where's Caleb? Left, Left pocket? Okay, so then why is Caleb's line mentioned? Because Caleb had a specific portion of land given to him. Remember, in Hebron, he had a specific possession, give me this mountain, and the Lord gave that to him, so Caleb's family that's coming back, they're going to need to know, they're going to need to go back and trace their lineage so that they know where their portion is. makes sense for it to be there. The Bible's awesome. Moving on. Chapter 9, verse 35 through 34 is is like a a carbon copy of Saul's lineage again. Uh, And it's because it's going to transition us into part two of the book, which is the reign of David. Now, in chapter 10, we truly begin to see the vast difference, the vast differences between Chronicles and Samuel and Kings. And from now on, I'm just going to refer to Samuel and Kings as the other books, okay? So uh, we're going to see a big difference between Chronicles and the other books. Chronicles tells us nothing about Samuel's anointing of Saul. Chronicles tells us nothing about Saul's reign. The only thing it tells us about Saul is his death that led to David being king. And chapters 11 through 29, the rest of 1 Chronicles, are all dedicated to David. Chapter 11 is David's coronation as king over all Israel. We're going to move through this pretty quickly. And just incredible accounts of his mighty men. Guys, if you like soldiers and military, just read chapters 11 and 12. Chapter 12, especially, is all about David's loyal army. And these awesome descriptions about these men who can run as fast as deer in the mountains. And their face were like lions. And they were all loyal to David. And look in chapter 12, verse 38. All these men of war that could keep rank came with a perfect heart to Hebron to make David king over all Israel, and all the rest also of Israel were of one heart to make David king. Let's not make this complicated. The reason that all of Israel was of one heart to make David king is because God chose him to be king. Chapter 13 is the story of David bringing the ark of God to Jerusalem. That's his first act as king over all Israel. He says, My first act is going to be bringing God's presence to Jerusalem because he says in verse 3 of chapter 13, It was neglected during all the reign of Saul. It's not going to be neglected under me. Now it doesn't go well. He puts it on a new cart. He doesn't carry it the way that he should. Uzzah dies and ends up staying with Obed Edom for three months. But then chapter 14, a bunch of victories over the Philistines. Chapter 15, he goes and he gets the ark the right way, brings it back with a lot of pomp and circumstance. And, I mean, the ark is back in Jerusalem. And this is a big deal to David. This, this, this was the main thing to David, the only thing to David. The Bible is highlighting David's understanding. If we are going to prosper as a people, our relationship with God has to be central. We have to bring the Ark of the Covenant, which is where God's presence sat. We need to bring that back. It doesn't need to be sitting in in a a house somewhere neglected. We have to bring it back, and Chronicles is highlighting that. And it was so important to David. That's why in chapter 17, David says, we need to build a temple. I want to build God a house. We need to, I'm sitting here dwelling in a house of cedar, and God's, the, the ark is dwelling in a tent? No, that can't happen. We need to build something. We need to build something grand, something incredible. And what does God say? Thank you, but I'm going to build you a house. I am going to establish your throne forever through your line because of your love, because of the heart that you have. Your line will never be broken and one day, That seed of the woman is going to come through you. It's going to come through you, and his throne is going to be established forever. And your next son, Solomon, he's going to build the house for me. That all happens in chapter 17, very key chapters. So chapter 18 through 20 keeps on talking about David's great military victories. And after every victory, the Bible shows us that David is spoiling the enemy and putting it aside. Save it, save it, save it, save it. Amassing all of the treasures for the temple. Chapter 21 is a story where 2 Samuel leads off, actually. It's not not far before David's death, and it's David's sin of numbering the people. Remember how he numbers the people and a plague comes on them? And the only way the plague can be stopped is he purchases a threshing floor from a man named Ornan. And he purchases that threshing floor and he builds an altar there and the plague is stayed. That all happens in chapter 21. Chapters 22 through 29 all have the same focus. And it's David and the temple. David and the temple. Chapter 22 is all the materials that David saved for the temple. Stones, iron, brass without weight, cedar trees, gold, silver, workers, jewels. Uh, He commissions Solomon. Hey, after I die, use this to build the temple. Why? Well, with that many riches, there would be some temptation to use it for other things. This is for the temple. That is why we're doing this. Chapter 23, David orders the Levites for the temple. Chapter 24, he orders the priests for the temple. Chapter 25, he orders the musicians for the temple. Chapter 26 and 27, any other office that was needed, guards or porters, treasurers, supervisors, there were monthly shifts of 24,000 men and each shift had a leader that would come every single month to guard the kingdom and guard the temple. It talks about his cabinet. And in chapter 28 and 29, the end of 1 Chronicles, David's final charge before he dies, and it all has to do with the temple. Solomon, build the temple. People help Solomon build the temple. Lord, thank you for allowing us to build a temple. Everything that we have given up to this point, is just because you've given it to us. And David dies. Now wait a minute, wait a minute. David's dead, right? What about David running from Saul? What about David's seven-year reign over Hebron before he became over all Judah, uh, all of Israel? What about David and Bathsheba? What about David's baby dying? What about David and Absalom? What about David and his temporary absence from his throne? What about David and Joab's tension? What about all of those stories mentioned in Samuel and Kings? They're not mentioned in Chronicles. In fact, the only sin of David that's mentioned in Chronicles is his sin in numbering the people. We took Caleb out of our left pocket, right? Let's put that in. Kings and Samuel covered David's entire reign, both good and bad. Chronicles mainly focuses on David and what? The temple. You're following. Mainly just focuses on David and the temple, which Samuel and Kings really doesn't talk about at all. It mentions that David is preparing for the temple, but not this detail. And this pattern continues in 2 Chronicles with with the reign of Solomon. Chapters 1 through 9 cover Solomon's reign over Israel, but the main focus is Solomon building the temple and dedicating the temple. There's no mention of his multiple wives. There's no mention of his idolatry. So in the other books, the sin of David and the sin of Solomon were in many ways highlighted. Were they not? I mean, they were laid bare for everybody to see. In Chronicles, they're barely mentioned, if mentioned at all. And that leads up to part four, the reign of the kings, which is chapter 10 through 36. And it covers the period of history from the dividing of the kingdom all the way to the exile. And didn't we read about that in the kings? We read about that in the book of kings. But here we find another huge difference. Chronicles doesn't mention any of the northern kings. Unless it's absolutely necessary to tell the story of the southern kings but it doesn't mention it barely mentions any are you all right over there yeah we're good barely mentions any of the northern kings only if it's necessary to talk about the southern kings kings focuses on both kingdoms chronicles only focuses on judah and the kings there and as this focus remains on the kings of judah you see the pattern continuing from david and solomon all 20 kings and one queen in there but all 20 of the rulers are mentioned but in every single story of each king, the temple is the focus. And it breaks my heart not to be able to go deep into this, but we just don't have the time. You're going to have to read it yourself. And trust me, when you read about these 20 leaders in the southern kingdom, you will see everything is focused around the temple. And I read Second Chronicles during the afternoon. I wrote, I wrote this down. So think about this. Uh, it talks about Rehoboam. Uh, talks about Abijah, really talks about Asa, and it spends a lot of time on Asa. You know why? Because Asa renewed the altar and brought treasures to the house of God. Now, it talks about one of Asa's sins because Asa's sin um, involved removing those treasures from the house of God. talks about Jehoshaphat. Spends a lot of time on him. You know why? Because he reinstituted a lot of the worship in the temple. In fact, he sent Levites and priests all throughout the land of Judah to teach people the law. And that has to do with the temple. That has to do with the house of God. That has to do with the relationship with God. So it spends a lot of time on him. Jehoram, bad. And why does it say he's bad? Because he instituted idol worship instead of the real worship in the temple. Ahaziah, bad. Athaliah, horrible. And she was the queen. Joash. Think about Athaliah. Athaliah, the queen, comes up and tries to murder all of David's royal line. But Joash is saved and spared, and he's hidden. Where do you think? In the temple, for six years. And so when Joash comes up after his after Athaliah, he repairs the temple. Amaziah and then Uzziah. Uzziah, the only sin it talks about about him is he made himself a priest. He walks into the temple and starts doing the priest's job. Well, the Chronicles is going to talk about that. Jotham talks about Ahaz. Ahaz shut the doors to the temple, Chronicles says. Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, opens the doors, repairs the temple, reinstitutes the Passover, breaks down the altars. Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, rebuilds those false altars. But then he repents, and he ends up breaking all those down. Then there's Amos. Then there's Josiah. We all know about Josiah, that boy king. And it spends a lot of time on Josiah. Because he, again, repaired the temple and brought things back. Then there's Jehoahaz and Jehoiakim, which led to the first exile. And then Jehoiachin, which led to the second exile. And then Zedekiah, which led to the third exile. With the temple being completely destroyed, burned. Taken away. Done. The house of the Lord, which is... Obviously the focus throughout all of the kings that it's talking about in Chronicles is now gone, done. Chronicles is not worried about what these kings did politically or militarily. But what Chronicles is bringing out is what did these men do that affected the worship of God at the temple? What did these men do with the idolatry in the land? If they did wrong with the temple, it's going to be mentioned. If they did right with the temple, it's going to be emphasized. It's going to be highlighted. There's a couple verses in uh, the other books about Hezekiah's reform to the land. There's three chapters of it in Chronicles. So after reading Kings, kings seem to focus on all the bad things that the kings did and mention the good things. But then in Chronicles, it seems to focus on all the good things and mention the bad things. The focus of Samuel and Kings is the throne, but in Chronicles, it's obviously the temple. If it doesn't affect the temple, it's not mentioned. If it does affect the temple, that's what we're going to focus on. David's in our left pocket, right? So why is the sin of David's numbering the people told, but not the sin of David and Bathsheba? Because David's sin of numbering the people led him to buy the threshing floor of Ornan and build an altar there. And read 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. Guess where Solomon built the temple? On the threshing floor. So that's why we'll mention that sin because it literally leads up to, so think about David and the Bathsheba. Did that not completely alter the history of the throne? but it didn't affect the temple, so Chronicles isn't going to talk about it. Are we seeing a pattern here? Okay. And the pattern continues all the way through the end of the last chapter to where the temple is completely burned. And those two verses that we read at the very end, fast forward after the Babylonian exile. It's been 70 years now, and Cyrus, this heathen king of Persia, commissions anybody from the land of Judah to go back to Jerusalem and build a what? A temple. Go back and build a house. So, we're almost done. To return, I mean, I already made it through all of 1 first, first and 2 Chronicles. That's pretty good. We still have something in our pocket, though. Remember, something in our right pocket. So to return to our question at the beginning, what is the purpose of retelling so many of the same stories? Why is this book written? And the key, is, the key to this answer lies in the final two verses. Remember, Samuel and Kings were written to the generation going into exile. Chronicles is written to the generation coming out of exile. Samuel and Kings were written to the generation that saw the destruction of the temple. Chronicles is written to the generation that is now commissioned to rebuild the temple. So, of course, Samuel and kings are going to focus on all of the bad things that the kings did because it was the sin of the kings that led them to exile and the temple being destroyed. Of course, it's going to focus on those things. The purpose of Samuel and kings is to teach that rebellious generation, this is what put you in Babylon. This is what destroyed your temple. But for this returning generation now, this generation who, is, who many of them only, they were born in Babylon, many of them. Many of them have never seen a Jewish temple. For this returning generation, the purpose of Chronicles isn't to show them why they were in Babylon and isn't, are they not written in the Kings? If you want to know why you're here, go and read those books. But the purpose of this book here, the purpose of Chronicles, is to teach this new generation not what brought you in, but who is bringing you out. We're going to teach you who is bringing you out and how to go back to to Jerusalem and start again. That's what Chronicles is all about. And it fulfills this purpose by talking about three things. First of all, it talks about their roots, the first thing that this returning generation needs to know is who they are. You need to know who you are. You aren't just some a random assortment of people. You're a chosen people, starting from Adam. And out of his three sons, God chose Seth. And then God chose Noah. And then Shem and Abraham. And Abraham had 12 sons, our fathers. You're this generation, our fathers. Out of all the people on the earth, God chose our fathers to have a covenant with. And then each of those fathers led to a tribe. And each of those tribes has a portion in the land to which you have returned. And by the way, Levi, here's 81 verses to trace your tribe. You know why? Because God specifically chose you to have a job in the temple. You need to remember your special roots from Levi. And down to Aaron these returning people needed to see how God had singled them out to bless them and bless all nations through them then Chronicles talks about David their royalty so their roots and their royalty and that's why the book mainly focuses on Judah because God chose Judah to host the royal line that would lead all the way to the Messiah no wonder Chronicles barely mentioned Saul the northern kings because none of them came from the tribe of Judah They had nothing to do with the royal line, so why talk about them? Does that make sense? The royal line began with David and then went to Solomon and then Rehoboam all the way through Zedekiah Zedekiah to where the exile began. But now they would have to see, even after exile in a foreign land for 70 years, God has guarded the royal line of David. As they read through the stories of Chronicles, they would see over and over how even when the king was bad, God stayed faithful to his covenant. You, they would read about wicked kings like Jehoram, when they forsook the Lord and defiled the temple. But the Bible says, "Howbeit the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant He had made with him." They would read stories about when Athaliah tried to kill all the royal seed, but God protected Josiah. I'm sorry, Joash, and hid him in the temple. And as this new Jerusalem returned to, uh, as this new generation returned to Jerusalem, David's throne was gone. But David's line was still alive and well. Do you remember that name? What is the name? Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Okay. Can I read you one portion of scripture from the book of Ezra, which is about this generation that is returning from Babylon to rebuild the temple? Ezra chapter 2, verse 1. Just listen here. Now these are the children of the province that went up out of the captivity of those which had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon had carried away unto Babylon, and came again unto Jerusalem and Judah, every one unto his city, which came with Zerubbabel. So they would see all throughout Chronicles, look at how God has protected the line. But just don't even look at Chronicles, just look up. Look who's leading you back. Zerubbabel, a descendant of David himself. David's royal line is still alive. And as long as David's royal line is alive, God's promise of the Christ is alive. You need to remember your royalty. And then the last thing, what was the main focus throughout the whole book? The temple. Let me tell you about your relationship with God. Their roots, their royalty, their relationship. The last thing they needed to see, there was only one focus that they needed to have in order to have God's blessing upon their life. And it wasn't the throne. It was the temple. That's what you need to focus on. They didn't need the presence of a king to be in their midst. They needed the presence of the king of kings in their midst. That's why Chronicles keeps that perspective. What did they do that affected the temple? What was their relationship with God? The kings who were good in God's eyes in Chronicles are not the ones who focused on the throne, but the ones who focused on the temple. So when you go back, don't worry about reinstating the throne. You go back and build a temple. When you go back to Jerusalem, it's God's job to take care of the throne. And look at Zerubbabel. God's doing a a really good job with that. He's doing just fine. He doesn't need our help. You need to go back and take care of the temple. Let God focus on ruling. You focus on worshiping. And it's impossible to read Chronicles now without seeing that threefold purpose. Here is your family roots. That's what the genealogy is for. I want to show you your roots. See how God has preserved the royalty then of Judah by protecting David's line. His promise is still sure. Notice how the kings who were blessed by God were the ones who understood the priority of worshiping God. The only reason we're going back is to rebuild the temple, to reinstate the worship. That's what we have to do. Before anything else in our life, our relationship with God must come first. And why wouldn't we serve? Why wouldn't we worship? Such a faithful and loving God. In Kings and Samuel, you see man ruling and it led Israel straight to exile. In Chronicles, you see God overruling and it's bringing them out of exile. Even all of their bad, he brings it out again. And even though David's throne may be gone, God will never be dethroned. From the beginning of time, all the way to the return from Babylon, the true king of Israel stayed faithful. And 400 years later, he sends a baby boy from the tribe of Judah. From the line of David, born in Bethlehem. And you know what the Jews wanted Jesus to focus on? The throne. When are you going to set up your kingdom and overthrow the Romans? In fact, in John chapter 6, they wanted to make him a king. But you know what Jesus focused on? The temple. said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. And because of what Jesus did through his death, burial, and resurrection, think about this, the blessing of Israel is now yours. What made Israel special? Their roots, their royalty, and their relationship with God. Doesn't Galatians say, know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham? When you are saved, Abraham is your father you are grafted into that olive tree. What does the Bible say? Ye are a a chosen generation. And then what does it say next? A royal priesthood? Revelation 1, five and six, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Through Jesus, We are joint heirs with Jesus, adopted into the royal bloodline. In holy nation, a peculiar people. Now, that doesn't mean weird for all of us. It means distinctive. It means different. And what makes us different than others? Our relationship with God. You're the temple now. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Because of Jesus Christ, the three lessons of Chronicles, you need to claim them now. When you read 1 Chronicles 1 through 9, you've been adopted into that family by your faith. That's your your line. That's your royal line. And your relationship with God now must be their relationship with God, and you must be a holy people. There's only one difference, though, between us and them. We're still in exile. We're strangers and pilgrims in this land. But there's no need to fear, because if there's one final truth that Chronicles teaches us is that God's faithfulness in the past is our hope for the future. And the King is coming. And very soon, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. We'll reign with Him. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.